0: We start off there with Kronk's dilemma. So what's taking place in this clip? What's the dilemma he has? Whether or not to save the bag. Or not to save the, the emperor in the bag, probably, not just the bag, but yeah. Um, what is, what's he experiencing in the moment there? What's going on inside of him? Or outside of him, I guess, so we can all see him. Yeah. He's like debating with himself his conscience whether or not he should do it or he should do it. Good, good. So do you think this is an experience that's common to all humanity? <laughs> we all experience this in a sense? Okay. Is this something you've experienced? Alright, so you've experienced the whole angel on the shoulder, devil on the shoulder scenario? Okay. Um how do you understand this experience what i mean if you were to like let's put on our psychologist hat for a second and let's think how do we understand the fact that we as humans have can, can literally have a dialogue with ourselves that we can have a conversation with ourselves cuz i mean if you look at me i'm just one guy right so how is it that i can stand there and debate with myself and argue with myself and, and try to convince myself one way or another what's, if it's just me what's happening there it's the Holy Spirit versus the flesh okay so go ahead yeah Yeah, well, that's kind of okay so Holy Spirit versus the flesh good that's one way of looking at it that is a great way of looking at it what about for non-Christians do they have the Holy Spirit versus the flesh Never think of that what do you guys think yeah? They have a conscience, right? <laughs> okay, so they have a conscience. Is that the same as the Holy Spirit or different? It's different because, you know, is right or right wrong versus, like, I need to do it or right. Okay, so there's a difference. And What does the conscience typically, what do we attribute to the conscience? What does it do? What's it telling us? Yeah? The conscience is kind of like that person in the back of your mind who's, like, right and wrong. and kind of that person who, like, steps in, like, are you really sure you want to do this? Okay, good. Yeah? It's kind of based on your own morals. Yeah, that's really insightful. So she said it's based kind of on your own morals. Okay, so your conscience, and this is important, your conscience may not necessarily be telling you exactly what's right and exactly what's wrong because our conscience, especially the conscience of the person who doesn't know Jesus or know the Bible or, or isn't saved, doesn't have the Holy Spirit the conscience of that person is really operating based on right and wrong as they understand it, right? And as sinners, as humans, we are sinful and our conscience is sinful and so our conscience can be even telling us what's right and wrong and it's not right and it's not necessarily wrong because it's not something that's being led by the Holy Spirit, okay? So I would say in a sense, everyone experiences the whole internal dialogue thing but that there's a difference between the way Christians experience and non-Christians experience, okay? Uh, and, and so here's the question. How do, you, how do you make it so that the side that should win in your debate is the one that does win? How do you make it? Because isn't that kind of like the million-dollar question? I mean, if we really have, like, an angel and a devil, it would be good if the angel wins the debate most of the time, all the time. So, how do we make it so that we go with the right side? Uh, my mom always talks about like lining up your thoughts with the Bible. So if you are you, like, you feel like this is, well, I'm not sure if this is right, we usually go to the Bible and uh-huh. line it up and see if it works. If it doesn't, then it's probably not good. Great. So that will definitely that helps us getting um, discerning what is the right and what is the wrong path, right? So the Bible helps us to discern that. But then I want us to take that even a step further. And we're actually going to move. This is the question we're seeking to answer today. We're going to take it a step further and asking the question, knowing what's right, now how do I do it? How do I choose to do what's right, right? And that's kind of the hard one, isn't it? I mean, if you've experienced that battle inside your mind and inside your heart, you know the battle and you know that you don't always go with the option that is the best one, right? Or the right one. You choose... The bad one, oftentimes. and So we want to ask the question, how do we do what's right? Okay, so let's look at Galatians chapter 5, and let's read it together here. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, uh, provoking one another, envying one another. All right? Now, I think it's helpful to look at this passage kind of broken down, okay? And so I've broken it down for us really quick. And here's basically the outline of the passage, okay? So we have the first verse, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is the command that Paul gives at the beginning of this passage. And then he gives the reason behind the command. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, okay? So what your flesh wants is the opposite of what the spirit wants inside of you. Okay, so that's helping us to kind of define what he means by flesh and spirit. And we're going to talk more about that. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then 18 is like parallel to 16. Okay, it says walk by the spirit. Here it says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, and up there it says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And there's a connection there. Okay, and we're going to talk about that. And then it gives us this list of the works of the flesh and then this list of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about those next week. And then he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he concludes, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, which sounds a lot like walk by the Spirit, right? Keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. These are all the same idea. So if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And that's actually launching us into his very next point. Okay? So that's kind of how I understand how this passage breaks down. And that might be helpful for you to visually see it that way. And So we're going to look at this passage in three quick points. And the first point is the war within, okay? So we kind of talked about this is a common experience, right? We all have experienced this debate inside our head, and the reality is we all know what it means to have a war within us, okay? There have been times when the war has been really pervasive for me, and I've just, I've had images come into my mind of like, it just feels like I've just got something inside of me like creeping and crawling around inside. It's trying to lead me away from the way that I want to go. I remember specifically almost uh, doodling out this image of um, just feeling like this hand, you know, grabbing the back of my head and like pulling my flesh in one direction when really I'm wanting to walk in the opposite direction. Okay, We're, so, so we all have this experience of the war within, Okay, and yet this experience is different for Christians than it is for non-Christians, because for a non-Christian, it's the debate between his sinful conscience and his sinful flesh, right? Both are sinful. Yeah, one might lead him in, in a more generally morally right decision, but it's not like a Godwardly right decision. And so what's different is in a Christian, it's not the debate between my conscience and my flesh, it's the debate between my flesh and And God's spirit. So when you become a Christian, God puts his spirit inside of you. That's what we see in verse 16. I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? And it talks about how the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. So when we talk about the flesh, what we're talking about is that part of you that is the sin desiring part of you. The part of you that wants to sin, and we all should recognize that we have that in us, right? We all have a sin-desiring part in us. It's a mistake to think that once Jesus saved me, he saved me so that I don't ever want to sin anymore. If you feel that way, then you're mistaken. Okay, it'll, it'll come back at some point where you want to sin. So there is part of us that is the sin-desiring part. It's the part that's not been renewed by the Spirit. We talked on Wednesday with the guys about light being shown into the darkness of our hearts, okay? And so it's the corners of our heart where light has not gotten into the darkness yet. And it's where we continue to do what we want to do, our sinful nature wants to do. In Ephesians, it's called the old self. The old self is your sinful flesh. But God has put his spirit inside us. So the the part of us that wants to do what God wants is the spirit. It's the God-desiring part of us. It's the part of us that has been renewed by the spirit. It's what Ephesians calls the new self. So you've got the new self inside you. You've got the old self inside you, okay? And the spirit always knows what's right and it's always leading you in what's right. So in war, oftentimes, success is measured by who has what territories, right? In war, the way you win is you you conquer the territory. And so if you think of your body as territory, okay, and not just your body, but who you are. So think about your tongue and how you speak. Think about the thoughts that you have throughout your day about yourself, about others, about religion, um, how you act at school, how you act with your parents, how you act at home, your self-esteem, your selfishness, your are you kind, are you an angry person, do you have pride, do you have humility? This is the battleground where the battle is being fought, right? And so your sinful flesh has control over parts of these areas. And the younger you are in Christ, the less time you've had following Christ, the more territory is given over and controlled by the flesh, right? That just makes sense, okay? At the beginning of a battle, right, they don't, it's not like we're all on equal territory. At the beginning of the battle, one side has less, the other side has more, and the winning side is gradually conquering territory. And so the Christian life is a life of having your territory inside you gradually being conquered by the Holy Spirit, right? And so over time you should have more control over your tongue. You should have more control over your thoughts. You'd have more control over um, your actions and what you do and and how you behave with your parents and with your teachers in school and church. And so this is the image that we have is the flesh versus the spirit. And over time, the war is going on inside your heart and ground should be gained, okay? So that's the war within. So point number two, victory is guaranteed. Victory is guaranteed. So look down at verse 24. Verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is really, really good news. Because even though you haven't conquered all the territories of your heart, The battle has already been won. Victory is guaranteed because your passions and your desires have been crucified with Christ. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that you don't have sinful passions and sinful desires anymore, right? I think we'd all agree that we still have sinful passions and sinful desires. We still wrestle with sin and with temptation and giving into it. But what it tells us is that our sinful passions and desires have been mortally wounded. They are nailed to a cross. Okay, so they don't have the power to control you that they once had before you came to Christ, and they are defeatable. They are weakened. You can overcome them. And so what that means for the Christian is that when your battle rages between your flesh and the spirit, there's always hope. There's always a way for your Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, to win that battle against the flesh. And that should sound like really, really good news to us. It's never hopeless. Have you ever felt like, I just can't control my passions? You know, I know what's right, and I don't do what's right. I just can't control. And what the Bible's telling us is, you can control them by the work of the Spirit. Does that mean that you always will control them? No, you won't because you're still human and weak and sinful, and you need God's Spirit to help you. But just knowing that you can win that battle, and not only that you can win that battle, but that you will win that battle, that at the end of time when your body dies or when Christ returns, the battle will be won, and that you will never wrestle with those passions and with those desires ever again, should be incredibly encouraging. And it should cause you to long for heaven. We talk a lot about longing for heaven, and this is why. We should be sick of the fight and the fact that we lose the fight and the Spirit doesn't conquer our hearts every time, and yet we should long for the day when we're guaranteed that the Spirit will rule our heart and we will joyfully do everything that God wants us to do and it will just flow out of us and it'll be easy and it'll just happen and we won't wrestle with the flesh anymore. Okay, so the good news is victory is guaranteed. So let's talk about what this victory looks like. What does it look like to have victory? Well, it looks like verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and what? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And look at the end of verse 17. It says, you know, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh, to keep you from doing the things you want to do, okay? So in other words, victory comes when you stop doing those things that your flesh wants you to do, right? That's what victory looks like, is you're gaining ground by overcoming the things that you want to do. So how does this happen? Well, first it happens by walking with the Spirit. That's what verse 16 tells us. So at some point, and this is why verse 16 says walk with the Spirit, verse 18 says that you're led by the Spirit. Okay, so think about those two images in your mind. When you walk with someone, where are you usually walking? When you walk with someone, where do you walk usually? Usually right next to them. Okay, so you're walking alongside them, right? So you're next to them. You're in step with them. You're going where they're going, right? But it also tells us that the Spirit leads us if you are led by the Spirit. So the image I have for being led by the Spirit is that it's holding, the Spirit's holding our hand and, and pulling us along, right? Leading us where to go. And what I think this is telling us is it's telling us that there is both an active and a passive part to walking with the Spirit. What that means is you have responsibility in this. Okay? You are responsible for walking with the Spirit. And at the same time, the Spirit is leading you. The Spirit will lead you. It will pull you along. And so there's two really important things for us to learn from this. First of all, if you're a Christian, you will grow if you're a Christian you will gain ground in the fight against the flesh if you're a Christian you will be able to say last year I struggled a lot with this and this year I don't struggle with it as much because the spirit is leading you and if you aren't able to say that it's because you're not a Christian okay so there is no option but growth in the Christian life The Spirit does lead you. So what part do you have in all of that? Well, I think the part that you have is you determine how fast you're going to go. Are we going to go fast towards sanctification? Or are you going to be pulling on the Spirit going really slowly forward? Okay, so your willingness to cooperate with the Spirit and to walk in line with the Spirit determines how quickly you grow in holiness and sanctification but the spirit is always leading you and you will continue to grow as a Christian. It's the same thing with an instrument, right? You guys who play instruments, if, you know, your mom's like, I signed you up for piano lessons. You're like, dang it, I hate piano lessons. And you go each week and you're like, duh, 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 duh. and you know, each week the, the lady, you know, your, your teacher says, did you practice? And you're like, no, 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 not really, you know, because I don't really want to do this. You'll learn the piano kind of over time, right? Like by the end of a year, you'll know more than you did before but you still won't know very much. But if you're passionate about it, and you say, I want to learn the piano, you love concert pianists, you YouTube concert pianists, and you say, I wanna be like that someday, and you're practicing hours on end because you love it and you're passionate about it, well, you're gonna be a lot farther along at the end of a year, aren't you? Same with the sport, same with a subject in school. The more passionate you are, the more involved you are in the process, The further along you're going to be in growing in that thing, right? So that's how it is with us. The Spirit will lead you. You will grow as a Christian, but it all depends on how passionate you are about overcoming the desires of the flesh and walking with the Spirit that will determine how spiritually mature you are at the end of the year. Okay, and how much you've grown over the course of the year. It all depends on your cooperation. Okay, so that's Point two, victory is guaranteed. And point three, how to gain ground. So this is the million-dollar question. How do we do it? We know there's a right way. We know there's a wrong way. The Spirit leads us in the right way. Our flesh wants to go in the wrong way. So how do we work with the Spirit to gain ground over time? Well, before I answer that, I want to acknowledge one thing, which is this. Satan loves to use the fact that you are fighting this battle to discourage you. Now, I don't know if you can, can recall this experience. I, I imagine that you've had the same experience as me, which is this. You find yourself deep in battle with sin. Okay? You're fighting the flesh. You feel the fight. It's hard. It's difficult. You want to win, but you find yourself losing. And Satan says things like, real Christians would never struggle like you do. If you really were a Christian, do you think you'd really struggle with sin the way you do? And his implication is no, right? But the answer is yes. The answer is the fact that there's a battle inside of you shows that there are things to battle against each other. That the Holy Spirit inside of you is fighting the flesh. So the battle should actually, instead of condemning us, it should give us comfort. We should be comforted by the fact that because I experienced this battle, it tells me that God has put his spirit inside of me. And that spirit is helping me to fight the battle. And even if I'm not winning every single battle, God's spirit is inside me and that's why there is a battle. If there is no battle, if you just went along with your flesh, that would be a much more terrifying thing to realize. If you don't fight sin, then you're in a much more dangerous spot than if you do fight sin. Does that make sense? Right? So, so don't get discouraged by the fact that there's a battle inside of you. Second, um, oftentimes when we hear this passage, the application is, how can we become more like the fruit of the Spirit, right? Okay, so we, we read this passage and we say, well, we need to be more loving. We need to be more patient we need to be more self-controlled. We need to be more kind. We need to be more gentle. We need to be more like the fruit of the Spirit and less like the works of the flesh. Now, how many of you, by you know, just kind of white-knuckling, holding on, how, how many of you become more loving by saying, I'm just going to be more loving or I'm just going to be more patient, you know, like the people who really tick you off and get on your nerves and you're just going to grin and bear it and you're just going to fight through it and at the end of the day are you really more patient No, oh, you you just bottled it all up and you're gonna go hit something when you leave right that's not growing in the fruit of the spirit so i don't think that the application from this passage is we just need to be more loving the application is we need to think how does the fruit of the spirit grow okay how do we cause the fruit of the spirit to grow and i think we need to well think about a tree think about an apple tree. What's the number one thing you can do to make an apple stop growing? What's that? Cut down the tree tree or just pick it off the tree, right? The second the apple is not connected to the tree, the apple stops growing. So the fruit of the spirit, how do we make the fruit of the spirit grow? Well, you stay connected to the tree, right? And so I think we should go back to John chapter 15, which we studied at our summer retreat a year and a half ago with the high schoolers, which says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches and whoever abides in me bears much fruit. So the answer isn't just be more loving. The answer is stay connected to the source. Stay connected to Jesus. So if you want to gain ground in the fight against the flesh, we need to stay connected to Jesus. The million dollar question, how do we do that? How do we stay connected to the vine? How do we stay connected to Jesus? Well, I think it's really helpful for us to go through Galatians and to see what is Paul's point here. How does Paul, uh, oh, I'm not there yet. How does Paul talk about growing in the spirit? And and listen to these. Look, if your Bible's open, go back to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Who wants to read that? Yeah, go ahead, Hannah. Thank you. Okay, so how in I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, great. So how is Paul living his life now that he's in Christ? I live my life. I now live in the flesh. I live, what's it say there? By faith. By faith. I live by faith, right? Okay, so go to three hundred eleven. Who can read three hundred eleven? Go ahead, Katie. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteous shall live by what? By faith. By faith, okay, and let's go to Galatians five. 5. Who can read Galatians five? 5? Yeah, go ahead, Nate. Okay, so through the Spirit, by faith, we, eagerly, or we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, right? So the answer is, how do we, how do we gain ground? How do we do this? We have to live by faith. Now, I, my expectation is that that's just like a whole bunch of Christianese for you guys, right? We say that all the time. We live by faith. Everything's by faith. But what in the world does that really look like? What does it really look like to live by faith? Well, I have a helpful definition by John Piper, and I think it's this. He says, meditate on the precious word of God until your heart is happy in God, resting in his promises. In other words, you read your Bibles, and as you read your Bibles, you look for the promises that God has given you of the life that he promises to give you if you follow him and if you stay connected to him and then you realize that those promises are for your joy, right? And and if you live your life in accordance with those promises, it will make you happier, and you trust God for that. Because we all do what makes us happy, don't we? The reason we struggle with whether or not to break our... Well, this is not yours. If you're ever on a diet, and you're like, man, am I going to eat the candy bar, or am I not going to eat the candy bar? The candy bar is going to make you really happy, But, you know, I don't know, maybe like the summer's coming up and you want to fit into a certain swimsuit or something. That will make you happy too. So whichever one makes you happier is the one you're going to do, right? And so for God, for following God, we need to have our joy rooted in his promises. And so what we need is we need to stockpile promises of God so that whenever we are wrestling with sin in the flesh, we can look at those promises and recall what he promises to give us so that we can live a life after those promises because we choose those because we want the happiness that comes from those. So I have done that for you in just a few that have helped me, okay? So here's a few promises. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure So I take that as a promise from God that in the midst of me struggling with my flesh, there's always a way out. And so you, we have to recall that we can never say, this is just too hard, I have to give in to sin. I just have to give in to whatever's tempting me because God says there's always a way out. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, at my weakest points, when I am struggling the most, God promises that his grace is sufficient for me. That he hasn't left me empty-handed in the midst of my battles. That he has given me grace, and that in fact, in my weakness, his power is at work in me. And so I can bear and stand up under weakness. And John 5, 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we can say, Lord, I want to have a life that bears fruit. I want to bear fruit in my marriage. I want to bear fruit with my children. I want to bear fruit with you guys. I want to see spiritual fruit popping up in all of my relationships. I long for that. And you promise that if I abide in you, and if I, if I don't, click on that image, if I don't watch that movie, if I don't go to that party if I abide in you instead if I wake up early, if I read my Bible if I make prayer a priority in my life, if I abide in you you promise that that fruit will come and that's what's going to bring me the most joy. And I didn't put this one there but um, I think it's John 10.10, this is another great one just came to mind as I'm standing here Um, John 10.10 He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That one's really powerful. So you think about what your flesh wants to do, what your desires want you to do. And Jesus says, if you go my way, you will have life abundantly. You will have a a much fuller life than if you go along with yourself and your passions and your desires. So I think that's what it looks like to live by faith. To live by faith, you, you say, God, I believe that that's true. I believe that those promises are true and I'm going to put my happiness in the midst of those promises. Well, as we conclude, a few questions for you to consider. Have you experienced the war within you? And I would encourage you that if your answer is no, you should be concerned. And I don't just mean the war between your conscience and yourself. I mean the war between the spirit leading you towards God and your flesh. If you haven't experienced that war, it's an indication that you are not safe. Number two, do you see areas where you have gained ground? Oftentimes it's easy to end sermons, and at the end of the sermon, the application is: I stink and I need to get better. <laughs> right? So let's not end that way. Let's say, well, let's let's look at the good points. Where have you gained ground? Where are you different? since coming to Christ? Where have you changed since choosing to follow Jesus? How are you not acting the way that you used to act? And that's an indication that you are being led by the Spirit, that God's Spirit is at work in you. And again, if you don't have an answer to that, that's an indication that you don't have the Spirit inside you. And you need to take that very seriously. And three, what are some promises other than the ones that gave that you can use to help you gain ground. So here's what I'd encourage you to do. I'd encourage you that as you read your Bible that you have a journal, if you have a notebook, if you have memory verse cards that you can stick on those rings that I gave you guys. Anytime you come across an encouraging promise, write them down. Because when sin comes and when t- temptation comes and when the flesh roars up inside you and wants to lead you astray, you need to have that list Ready? So that you can go to those promises, so that you can open them up, so that you can read through them, and by faith say, I trust God that these are true. Help me to resist temptation, to resist sin, and to choose my happiness in you and not in giving into the flesh. And that's the way that the Spirit's going to gain ground. Okay? Let's well, close. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to be transformed more and more into your image, and we praise you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, in our hearts to guide and to direct, to convict us of sin so that we might repent and walk in righteousness. God, we just pray that you would help each one of us here to walk in step with the Spirit and to allow the Spirit to lead us at a quick pace to not resist the Spirit's leading, but to walk alongside the Spirit, to desire the sanctification to come, to desire what you have promised us, and to find our happiness in you, which will satisfy, which does lead to joy upon joy, and not in our flesh, and what we think will lead to joy, but ultimately leads to death. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday, Friday.